Well, good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Good to be with you guys here this morning. If you are new or visiting, just want to say welcome. Good to have you guys. Um, if you are new or visiting, again, at River City, we want the, the Bible to, we want God's Word to be central to everything that we do and say. It's at the root of what's going on here at River City. And so whenever we study and teach on Sunday mornings, we try to make sure that that's, that's coming straight out of God's words. And so uh, that's where we're headed this morning. Um, before we dive into our study, I just want to say this. If you uh, have any questions about anything that I say as I teach this morning, I'd just love to talk with you about that. So feel free to come find me after the service or shoot me an email. I'd love to continue to help you grow and wrestle with some of the things that we talk about here. So... This summer, we've been uh, studying, uh, we've been going through the book of Proverbs together. And Proverbs is a book in the Bible that's all about helping us grow in wisdom. And Proverbs defines wisdom for us as skill in godly living. And that kind of might seem a little odd for us because I think a lot of times, most of the time when we think about what wisdom is, wisdom is when when you know a lot, right? But when Proverbs talks about wisdom, Proverbs isn't talking about what you know, Proverbs says that wisdom is characterized by who you know, because wisdom is about knowing God. And so what it means then to be wise is to increasingly reflect the image and the character of God in every part of how we live and act and think. And so Proverbs, it has a lot to teach us about what it means to be wise and what it looks like for us to reflect the image and the character of God in our lives in a lot of different aspects and a lot of different ways. And one of the ways that Proverbs does that, one of the ways that it, that it shows us what wisdom really looks like and what it means to do that, is it compares and contrasts uh, two things. It compares and contrasts um, godliness or wisdom and foolishness. And so what happens is over and over and over in Proverbs, there's these two things that are put up against each other. And Proverbs will say, this is what wisdom is like, and this is what foolishness is like. And one of the ways over and over that Proverbs contrasts wisdom and foolishness is that the wise are diligent and the foolish are lazy. The wise are diligent and the foolish are lazy. As a pastor, I feel like I'm probably uniquely qualified to talk about laziness because, as everybody knows, I only work one day a week. Usually it's about a half day, right? We're just going to power through and make it happen this morning, right? That's not actually true. I am working on it. Anyways, okay, right? Uh, as we study Proverbs this morning, what we're going to see is that the, the term that Proverbs uses to describe this foolish, lazy person, the term that Proverbs uses most often is the word sluggard. And you're like, oh, sluggard. That is like, man, that is, that is, that is brutal. That's a modern translation. It still uses sluggard, right? That is brutal. And in each of the 14 cases where Proverbs uses this word, it condemns laziness and it warns us about the consequences. And as we'll see this morning, Proverbs uses humor a lot of the time to make its point about laziness. But it's not like the ha-ha kind of funny, it's like the ugh, like sad, pathetic kind of funny. It's like, imagine, you know, like, I don't know if you guys like Jim Gaffigan, I think Jim Gaffigan is hilarious, but like one of his characters is like the, the epically lazy person, right? Proverbs is, is like painting a picture of like if, if the way that Jim Gaffigan talked about how lazy he was was actually true, that's, that's the sluggard in Proverbs. One commentator refers to it as the, the sluggard in Proverbs is a figure of tragic comedy. It's this tragic comedy that's merged together. It, it's sad, it's pathetic, but it's just, it's, it's, it's not the funny kind, it's the, it's the sad kind. And if we're honest, when we read Proverbs, it's really easy to gloss over the sluggard or just to, to laugh it off and to think, man, that dude is sad. Like, that guy is, that is pathetic. 
I'm glad I'm not like that at all. But uh, one commentator, uh, Derek Kidner, he just wrote a really helpful commentary in the book of Proverbs. He writes it this way. He says, the wise man knows that the sluggard is no freak, but as often as not an ordinary man who has made too many excuses, too many refusals, and too many postponements. You see, the truth of Proverbs is that there is a sluggard in all of us. It's that temptation to hit the snooze just, just one more time. It's that voice in us that says, the mess, it'll be there tomorrow. The grass, it's just going to keep growing. We'll get to it eventually. It's the voice that says, that hard conversation, that can wait. I'll put it off. Reading my Bible, spending time with the Lord, I'll get to it when I get to it. It's that voice that says, disciplining my kids, it costs me too much freedom. It is too inconvenient. They'll grow up eventually. It's the thinking that what will really solve our problems is just a vacation from the stress of life. It's that desire for us to escape or to just distract ourselves from the pressures or the responsibilities of work or parenting or the relationships that we have. You see, what Proverbs is laying out for us is that the sluggard is not unlike you and I, but the sluggard is really just the tragic picture and the, and the warning of what happens when we give ourselves over to those desires. You don't become the sluggard overnight, you become the sluggard slowly, day by day, choice after choice, as we give ourselves over to the pursuit of comfort and pleasure and escape. What Proverbs shows us is that while laziness, it might seem harmless, or at least harmless to other people, Proverbs talks about the, the sobering consequences that laziness has, both for us and for others. And so as we study this morning, what I want us to see as we study Proverbs is that if we want to be wise, if we want to reflect God's image and God's character, then we've got to learn how to identify and defend against laziness and apathy and complacency. If we want to be wise, we've got to learn how to identify and defend against the sluggard that's in our own hearts. And so to that end, as we study this morning, what I want to show you in Proverbs, Proverbs teaches us, Proverbs shows us the symptoms of laziness. Proverbs shows us the sobering consequences of laziness, and Proverbs points us to the solution of laziness. So with that in mind, let's pray, and we'll dive into our study in God's Word this morning. God, we just come before you, and God, we just want to humbly say, we need you. God, I need you uh, to fill me with your spirit so that what I have to say and teach, that my words are mine, which are, have no value and are of no power, but they're yours. So God, I say, I need you to fill me so that our time will be fruitful. God, and we need you as well. We need you to, to soften our hearts. We need you to make our hearts teachable and moldable and shapeable. We need you to give us ears to hear and listen. God, we just say we cannot do that without you. And so we just ask that you'd be gracious as we sit under the authority of your word, that you might change us, that you might speak to us, that you might transform us. And so, God, we just come uh, expectantly, just gratefully that you promise to meet us as we meet you in your word. And God, we just trust that you will be at work in us through your word. And so we pray these things in your good name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, this morning, what I want us to see is that we need to learn to identify and defend against the sluggard in our own hearts if we want to be wise. And so Proverbs is really helpful for that because Proverbs highlights a number of the symptoms that help us to identify those sluggard, those lazy desires in our hearts. I think the most helpful way to break it down is to, to show you what Proverbs says, what characterizes what the sluggard does and what the sluggard does not do. So first, the, the lazy person, the sluggard, Proverbs says the, the lazy person doesn't plan ahead. Proverbs 24 says it this way, sluggards don't plow in season. And so at harvest time, they look, but they find nothing. And you're, you just think Solomon's writing to the, to the sluggard, and he's just kind of saying, you got to plant seeds, bro. 
the magical corn fairies, they're not a thing. It doesn't happen that way, right? You have to plan ahead if you want to harvest food in season. And so the, the sluggard doesn't plan ahead, but the sluggard also, he doesn't start things. The, the epitome of the sluggard is the procrastinator. Proverbs 6, 9 says it this way, how long will you lie there, sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Proverbs 24, 30 and 31 says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered in weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. One pastor I read this week described the the procrastination of the sluggard like this. He says, it's the way that syrup oozes slowly out of the bottle when when it's cold. The sluggard is sluggish and slow and hesitant when he should be decisive and active and forthright. The motto of the sluggard is, don't rush me. Don't rush me. I'm thinking about it. I'll get around to it. Stop nagging me about it, but you, you just never do. Oftentimes, people make excuses that, that they work better under pressure. Just I, I'm just going to burst that bubble. That's a lie. Nobody actually works better under pressure. You just finally have to do the thing you've been avoiding doing. And I know that from experience, right? My sermons, as I, as I prepare to teach and preach, they're never better when I, when I press them into the last few days of my week. They're, they're done, but they're never better. None, none of our work is just better done under stress and pressure. It's finished, but it's not better. That's a lie that we often believe. You see, procrastination, it doesn't make things better, and it doesn't make things easier. Alexander McLaren, he's an old Scottish preacher, he said this, No unwelcome tasks become any less unwelcome by putting them off until tomorrow. It's only when they are behind us and done that we begin to find that there is a sweetness to be tasted afterwards and that the remembrance of an unwelcome duty, unhesitatingly done, is welcome and pleasant. So the, so the sluggard is, they don't plan ahead and they, and they have trouble starting things, but more than that, they have trouble finishing things. Proverbs 12, 27 says it this way, the lazy, they don't roast any game, but the diligent, they feed on the riches of the hunt. Proverbs is telling us that the sluggard is like the guy who, who does all of the work to go hunting, but then he waits too long to butcher the deer and the meat spoils. You see, wisdom is not just about beginning things. Wisdom is about finishing the things that we begin and enjoying the fruit of our labor when we finish those things. You, I, I read that verse and it, it, just, it just like hurts me because you think, man, that guy, he was like this close to hot sticks. He was so close and yet he missed it. Man, he missed, about, he missed the best part of the whole thing. And so the, the sluggard doesn't plan ahead, and he procrastinates, and he doesn't finish. But, but on top of all that, Proverbs highlights what the sluggard does do. And it's not any more flattering than what he doesn't do. Proverbs says that the sluggard is, is one who is complacent and apathetic. Proverbs one thirty two says it this way, the, For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools, it will destroy them. See, apathy and complacency, they characterize how the sluggard approaches everything in their life except their hobbies and passions. They live for the weekend, they do just enough to get by, to get to the next time that they can relax or pursue their hobbies, and the slugger kind of just often just wanders through life in this haze, just getting from one comfort to the next. And the apathy and the complacency that, that, that characterizes the slugger, it's not just about their work, it, it, it extends to their spiritual life as well. They know that reading the Bible and praying and spending time investing in their relationship with God is something that's good for them, something that they should do, something even that's important, but they just never do it. 
One commentator writes, the sluggard often admits that changing would be a good thing, just not at the expense of comfort and pleasure. And so the sluggard is complacent and apathetic. And the sluggard does a lot of talking and a lot of not, not a lot of doing. Proverbs 14.23 says this way, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. See, the sluggard can, can talk about the things that are on his task list, so he appears busy, but it's just talk. See, whenever you talk to them, they're taskless. It, it's always the same. It is big. It is impressive. They, they appear to be really busy. But whenever you talk to them, their list always has the same things on it. As one pastor notes, they aren't crazy busy. They are lazy busy. A full schedule endured in a spiritual haze, begrudging interruptions, resenting needy people, driven just by a craving for the next comfort. The sluggard, they make a lot of excuses about why that's the case, about why their task list is big but never changes. Proverbs 26, 13 says, A sluggard there says, There's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. That'd be like a person saying today, I think that I heard a bear outside my door, and so I better, I better, not, better not get up. I better not go to work today because I might get mauled by the bear. And you're like, you live in Dubuque. There's like small dogs, and that's about it, right? It's not a thing, right? There, there isn't a bear. And what Proverbs is, it's not saying that people are actually saying this. It's, this, it's an exaggeration here to show to show the foolishness and the nonsense of the excuses that we use, the excuses that we make to avoid the responsibilities that, that we have. Why do the dishes? They're just going to get dirty again. Why mow the lawn? It's just going to keep growing. It's summertime. Why pick up the kids' toys? The, all the kids' toys, they are going to get all of them out 12 seconds after I put them away. Why start eating better? It's not like I'm going to stop craving pizza. Why go to small group? Our schedule, it's just always crazy. We never could be consistent. Why, why read my Bible? I just get, I'll just get interrupted by my kids, or I just get confused when I read it. Why, why share my faith? There's no way anyone would ever listen to me. You see, the sluggard, they make excuses. And oftentimes, the reason that they make excuses is so that they can have space to pursue their pleasures and hobbies and passions. Proverbs 26.14 says it this way, As the door turns on its, on its hinges, so the sluggard turns on his bed. Proverbs 12.11, Those who work their, with their land, they have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies, they have no sense. Proverbs 20.13, Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. Proverbs 21.17, Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. What you need to hear here is Proverbs not opposed to sleep. Sleeping is good. What Proverbs is opposed to is sleeping too much or sleeping when you should be awake. Proverbs is not opposed to enjoying good food and drink. There are verses that talk about us enjoying that. What it's opposed to is a disordered prioritization, a disordered passion, a disordered pursuit of those things. Proverbs is not opposed to our hobbies. It is not opposed to video games. It's just opposed to using those things to escape our responsibilities or to distract us from reality. Proverbs 13.4 says this, A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are, full, are fully satisfied. It's telling us the, the sluggard endlessly, he gives himself over to these things, but in the end, they, they never really actually satisfy. They just keep leaving him hungry for more. 
It's like the chain smoker who just needs the next fix as soon as that last cigarette is gone. Each one satisfies less and less and less and less. And instead of fulfilling our desires, laziness, it just compounds them. It makes them harder and harder to satisfy. And so what happens is we just get bored. We get bored with everything. We get bored with life. We get bored with God. We get bored with our marriages. We get bored with our friends. Because when you look to those things to satisfy, they just become harder and harder and harder to do because they keep not fulfilling. Proverbs 13, 4, it's painting this picture of someone who endlessly is looking for rest and pleasure, but who never finds it. And it contrasts it with the diligent who pursue diligent work and obedience. And in that, they find rest and joy. Despite all of this, Despite his never-ending cravings, Proverbs says, sluggard thinks he's already wise. Proverbs 26, 16. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. The lazy person, they look at the hard work of others and they think, man, those guys are chumps. That looks really hard. Why would I do that? You look exhausted. You look tired. Why? All the while, they're chasing their own fantasies and they're chasing their own pleasures, which are always just a little bit out of reach. Lastly, I think the last thing I think Proverbs highlights about what characterizes the sluggard is that they, they're characterized by rationalizing lots of small compromises. Proverbs 6, 9, and 11 says, How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Derek Kidner, again, in his commentary on Proverbs, he writes, the sluggard deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. And so, inch by inch and minute by minute, his opportunity slips away. He is no freak, just an ordinary man who has made too many excuses, too many refusals, and too many postponements. It has all been as imperceptible and as pleasant as falling asleep. You see, the picture that Proverbs paints for us about the sluggard is, is, is a tragic one, and it's a comedic one as well. But the danger for us is to think it's just a caricature of something that we could never be. And the invitation for us is to ask the hard questions about our own heart. See, maybe as I talked about those things, as I talked about the things that characterize what the sluggard does and what they don't do, maybe you're starting to see some of those symptoms manifesting in your own life. And if that's the case, like it was for me this week, as I continue to wrestle with that, it doesn't feel good. It's not like a, oh, man, that was, that was nice. That was just, I really enjoyed that. No, it doesn't feel good like getting a diagnosis of a sickness. It doesn't feel good. But it's good for us to diagnose what's going on in our hearts. The Bible says it's God's kindness to us to show us our sin. And he does it so that we could turn from it before we experience the consequences of sin. In Proverbs, it lays out for us the the sobering consequences that laziness and sluggardness has in our lives. You see, we we often think that it, it, at best it just hurts us and it doesn't really hurt anybody else. But the truth is that complacency and apathy and laziness, those things destroy us and they destroy others. There are personal consequences. Proverbs 132 says, For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. 
that's strong language. That's, that's, not, that's not little things. That's big deal kind of language. Proverbs 6, 9, 11, how long will you sleep? When will you get up? A little folding of the hands, a little uh, sleeping of the rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief in the night. Proverbs 10, 4, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands make wealth. Proverbs 12, 24, the diligent will rule, but the laziness, it ends in forced labor. Proverbs 19, 15, laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless, they go hungry. Laziness and apathy and complacency, it is destructive. It destroys marriages and families. It destroys careers. It destroys reputations. It destroys people's finances and their ability to provide for their families. It destroys people's futures. And the deceptiveness of laziness is that it doesn't do it overnight. It slowly, slowly, one at a time, goes through it. Laziness destroys slowly and subtly, often hiding behind other more visible things. But it's not just your own life that laziness affects. Proverbs tells us that laziness affects those around you as well. Proverbs 10.5 says, Whoever gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Proverbs 10.26 says, As vinegar to the teeth and as, as smoke to the eyes, so sluggards are, are to those who send them. And I don't really know what vinegar tastes like. I'm guessing not good. But I know what smoke is when you get in the eyes. That's one of the many reasons I hate camping, right? (laughs) It's not pleasant, right? Everybody tries to move their chair to get out of where the smoke is coming in the eye. You don't want to be near that. You don't like it. You don't want to be associated with it. You get away from it. Proverbs saying that it's not just your reputation that affects, it's not just your reputation that your life affects, it's that of your family, or more tangibly for us, it's that of your church family. What your boss or your friends or your neighbors think about you reflects what they think about this church. And if laziness and apathy and complacency characterizes what people think of you, that's going to affect what people think about who God is and it's going to affect what people think about what this church is like and it's going to affect our ability to be a winsome witness for the sake of the gospel in our city. It matters. It matters. But more than just affecting our reputations, Proverbs tells us that laziness is destructive to our community as well. Proverbs 18, verse 9, it says, The one who is slack in his work is a brother to one who destroys. Social scientist Charles Murray, he affirms this when he identifies what he calls the new lower class. Pleasant, inoffensive folks who consume more than they produce. They break no laws, they break no windows, but by not contributing, they are destroying. He says, a society can absorb the underproduction of a few, but as that number grows, the consequences become high for everyone. When you are apathetic and complacent at work, when you're always coming in late or taking long lunches or leaving early, that affects your employer. It affects their bottom line. And you may not be taking away something from them, but at the very least, you are not contributing to their growth. And maybe you work at a big company and you think, it's not a big deal. I'm just, I'm just a little peon in the grand scheme of things. I just need you to hear this. That's missing the point. That's missing the point of God's, what God is trying to teach us here. That's one of the excuses that the sluggard makes. You see, I just need you to hear this as we study this morning. Laziness, laziness is not neutral. Apathy is not neutral. The Bible says that laziness is wickedness. In Matthew 25, 26, Jesus calls the servant who did nothing with what his master gave him, he calls him wicked and lazy. 
See, laziness can be a problem for everyone, but men, I just need you to hear this especially. There is an epidemic in our country of extended adolescence. It's just boys with facial hair who kind of refuse to work and refuse to take responsibility and refuse to sacrifice for the good of others and refuse to take risks for the good of others or for their church or for their families, and they refuse to become leaders and to take responsibility. Man, I just need you to hear this especially God has called you to represent him in a unique way and to lead this church and to lead your families in a unique way. And I just need you to hear this. Laziness is not neutral. Laziness is a direct opposition to that calling that God has given you. Laziness is a direct opposition to God's calling in your life as a man. Laziness is not the common cold. We must see it as the cancerous disease that it is. And so let us not deceive ourselves about the seriousness of it. So Proverbs, it lays out for us the symptoms, and it tells us about the sober consequences. But Proverbs also, it points us to the solution. And I'll just tell you this before we dive in. What's not going to work? Pulling yourself by your own bootstraps wanting it more, trying harder, feeling bad about yourself, feeling guilty, and then just trying to work harder and be better. All that is is just trying to treat the symptoms of laziness. That's not fixing, what's, that's not fixing the source of what's going on there. We need to actually treat the disease. And you might be getting sick of me saying this by now, but in Proverbs, the thing that Proverbs is coming back to over and over and over, Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your hearts because Everything you do flows from it. You see, laziness is not a work problem. Laziness is a heart problem. So one commentator writes, laziness is not the reclusive passivity it pretends to be. It is an active obedience to something other than Jesus. Laziness is not a reclusive passivity it pretends to be. It is an active obedience to something other than Jesus. You see, laziness is a sin of desire. And what the sluggard in our hearts desires more than anything else is comfort. It's that longing for the removal of stress or for the freedom from the burden of responsibility. It's the desire for unending pleasure or just easy living. And Proverbs tells us it's a lie. The, the comfort that you think will satisfy, it's just a lie. Proverbs 13, 4, a sluggard, their appetite is never filled. Proverbs 21, 25, and 26 says, the craving of the sluggard, it's going to be the death of them because their hands refuse to work, and all day long they just keep craving for more. You see, the sluggard believes the lie that something other than God will really satisfy, and he's always left wanting. That's what Andy shared about this morning. I need to be honest with you, as, as I just prepared this sermon, man, this week, it was just kicking my butt this week. It was hard because as I study and as I prepare, God's word, like, speaks to me. And if I'm honest, God's been graciously, but, like, very persistently this week, correcting my own heart about this and helping me see how much I wrestle and I struggle with these things as well. I got to Friday afternoon, and I'm just like, oh, man. Hannah and I went on a date on Friday night, and I just like I was just like I just need to apologize to her. <laughs> you see, what God was teaching me over the course of the week is that my tendency to to pursue 
to just be lazy, to be complacent, and to be apathetic about the responsibilities that God has given me, whether that's at home or in my work or whatever it is. That affects her and it affects our kids. And, and really what it's doing is it's keeping them from flourishing. What's more, I feel like God convicted me about this week is that not only do I wrestle with complacency, I am complacent about dealing with it. And that's like the, the double-edged sword of what complacency is, right? It keeps us stuck. It's the very definition of what keeps us stuck. You see, what happens is I, I just tell myself it's not a big deal, or I think, you know what, I'm growing, I'm doing better. This, I'm, things are okay, right? The more I spent time in God's Word this week, the more I spent time talking with the Lord, the more I felt the Spirit's deep conviction in my own heart. It is a big deal. The consequences are real. It does affect my family and my church and the people that I seek to lead for the kingdom of God. So the question is, how do we change the desires of our heart and root out laziness? And I think the first step is just simply, we need to start acknowledging the lies that we're believing for the lies that they are. We need to start acknowledging that the, the pleasure and the comfort that we look to to really satisfy, it just doesn't. It doesn't actually satisfy. It doesn't actually give you the life that you're looking for. Sometimes we just need to begin with acknowledging it's, it's not doing what I want it to do. Sometimes we need to acknowledge that the escaping the pressure or the stress of reality, we believe that that's what we really need. If that's the thing in the midst of the busyness of life, that what we really need is escape. And just over and over and over again, what we see is that escape Escape doesn't fix anything. It just compounds the problems. We need to confess and acknowledge the lie that doing the, we often believe the lie that just doing the difficult thing, it can wait. It'll be here tomorrow. The hard thing, it will always be there to do. And what Proverbs tells us is that it won't always be there. And what was hard today will be impossible tomorrow sometimes. And we will have missed the opportunities that God had laid in front of us. We'll have missed out on what God has invited us into. And so I think, one, we need to acknowledge the lies that we are believing for the lies that they are. But second, we need to replace those lies with the truth about the gospel. We need to replace it with the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done. And so three things I think God wants that we need to be praying that God would help us to believe and remember and live in light of this morning. One is that the work that God has called us to is a gift from him. When I say work, what I'm not talking about is your job. I'm talking about the, the calling that God has placed on your life. That includes your vocation, but it's a small part of it. Really, when I talk about work, what I'm talking about is all of the places and relationships in which God has invited you, in which God has called you to, to represent him and to join him in the redeeming work that he is doing in this world. And God has invited you to do that as his people in your careers and in your jobs, but he's invited you to do it in your church and in your family and in the relationships that you have in what you say and what you do and how you live and how you act and what you represent. You see, the work that God has called us to, when I talk about that, the work that God has called us to, it's a gift from him. The mission, the purpose that God has given us, it is a gift from him. In all the other ancient Near Eastern creation stories, work is something that the gods are either trying to get out of doing or the consequences when you lose the battles. But in the Bible... Before the fall, before sin enters the word, God is characterized as a God who is working. And God is characterized by one who gives Adam work to do in the garden. All of this before sin enters the world. You see, work is an honor and a gift that God gives to humanity. And it's one of the ways that we reflect his image and bear his character. 
John, 15, John 5, 17, Jesus embodies this perfectly. He says, the Father is always working to this very day, and so I too am working. You see, God's gift, work is a, God, is a gift that God gives to us. The calling he puts on our lives is a gift that he gives to us. The responsibilities that he has invited us into with him are a gift that he gives to us. And you sense that. You sense that when you've worked hard all day and your head hits the pillow and you are tired, but it is the good kind of tired. And it's not just physical work, although if I'm honest, man, that, that, one, that sometimes feels the best. <laughs> but it's all of the work, Right? When we spend our day wasted watching TV or just doing whatever we want to do and ignoring the responsibilities that God has given us, when, you, when, when your head hits the pillow at night or when it just stays there and it's time to go to bed, it doesn't feel, doesn't feel like it was life-giving that day, does it? It never feels like, man, that's what I wanted. That, that, really, that really hit the spot. No, it always just feels like, huh, well, I guess that's over. You don't sleep well on those nights, I find. But what we find is when we work hard, especially when we work hard unto the Lord, we get a glimpse of that life-giving joy that work is meant to be because work is not a burden. Work is an honor that God gives us. It's a gift from him to us. Secondly, we need to remember that, one, God's, God's work is a gift to us, but, but also we need to remember that our work, the work that God has called us to, is a gift for God as well. Ephesians 5 says it this way, For you were once in darkness, but now you are, now you are light in the Lord. So therefore, live as children of light. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The King James, I just love it, reads it this way. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Ephesians says, buy it back. Buy back the time that you have. Use it not for yourself and for your own joy. Use it for the one who gave everything for you. Buy back the time so that it might be used for God's purposes and his glory and his kingdom instead of wasted on yours, which will be here and gone in a moment. One commentator writes this. He says, the sluggard procrastinates. He treats each precious moment of God-given life as no big deal. He is not astounded that the grace of God is giving him one more moment to live for Christ. Ephesians 5 says that we were slaves in the midst of darkness, but now in Christ we are in light. So the calling is then you have been made children of light, so live like it. You see, the beauty of this calling is that we get to live for the glory of God in all that he has called us to do. We get to live as a, our lives get to be a gift and an offering and a sacrifice of worship unto him in everything that we do. And so no matter what job you have, it's a chance for you to reflect God's image and bear his character and, and show what he is like and, and live and worship unto him. And in your marriages and in your parenting and the way you relate to your family or your friends and the way that we pursue rest and the way that we pursue life and the way that we pursue joy, all of those things are chances and are opportunities for us to live as children of light, to not live as foolish, but to live as wise so that the one who has called us out of darkness might receive all the glory and the praise for doing so. But you just, you need to hear this. Believing that our work that God has called us to is a gift to us, and that our work should be a gift for God, you just need to hear this. That's not enough. That is not enough. If you stop there, you just get religion. Because religion is know better, do better, right? Okay, well, you know what it's supposed to be. You know where you're supposed to go, so just do it now. 
Try harder. Be better. You know where you're supposed to go. Get on the path. That's not what we need. You see, what we need is the gospel. What we need to believe is not just that our work is a gift from God, not just that our work is a gift for God, but we need to believe is the truth about God's work, which has been gifted to us. You see, in the person and the work of Jesus, what we see is the opposite of the sluggard, the epitome of the diligent. Jesus did not make excuses or procrastinate. Instead, he worked hard and he completed the work that the Father set before him to do. Proverbs 6, it tells the sluggard, go look to the ant, consider its ways, and be wise. Man, when this, just, this, this note just struck me this week as I read it. Commentator Eddie said, little ants... They picture the diligence of their big creator. It is through the sacrifice of the most diligent one, Jesus, that we might encounter the power that we need to change from laziness to diligence. You see, when we see Jesus and his work, which was perfectly done and perfectly finished, when we see his work credited to us by faith, then we are freed from the slavery to sin and empowered to work and to live unto the Lord. You see, the gospel frees us to work because we're not working for an identity. We're working out of an identity. We're not working hard so that we won't be seen as lazy. We're working hard unto the Lord because even when we were lazy, he died for us. You see, men, I just... So often I think what we hear is just like, do better, try harder. That's just never worked for anybody. What you need to hear is this. You see, Jesus is more than an example. He is the forgiver of men who have not followed his example. Jesus is more than our example. He is the one who forgives us when we have not followed his example. And more than that, he is the one who empowers us to be who he has called us to be. That is the truth that we remember and that we celebrate when we take communion. When we take the bread together, what we're reminding ourselves and each other of is that Jesus' body, it was broken on our behalf for us. As in wisdom, he skillfully and diligently lived the life that we did not, that we have not. And the rewards of his good and diligent work have been given as a gift to us by faith. And when we take the drink, what we're remembering and reminding ourselves and each other of is that Jesus' body and his, that Jesus' blood, it was shed for us as he paid the penalty that our sin deserved for the destructiveness of our laziness and, and our apathy and our complacency. And taking communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It does not change your status or your standing with him. The only thing that can do that is faith in the person and the work of Jesus. Instead, it is a chance for us to remember and to celebrate all that Jesus has done for us. Remembering the gospel, it empowers us to live in light of the gospel. Empowers us to live in light of God's grace for his glory. Communion this morning is in the back, and you can go when you're ready during our time of worship. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to belong to Jesus because, again, communion is not a ritual. It is not just something we, a physical thing we do. Communion is about us celebrating and remembering the goodness of the gospel made known to us in Jesus. And so as you do, you just go and you dip the bread in the juice. There are stations in the back on the left and on the right. You go during our time of worship whenever you feel ready. And as you do, I just encourage you, talk with God. Confess to him the laziness in your own heart and the lies that you've been believing about what will really satisfy and what will really give life and what will really 
give pleasure and, and, and fulfill you in the ways that you want it to. And be honest with God as well about the excuses that you make that keep you stuck in laziness. And lastly, as I close this morning, I just want to close with this. Some of us this morning, we need to hear the rebuke of the scriptures. Your heart is prone to laziness and you just don't care. Or you know that your heart is prone to laziness and you just won't pursue change. And you need God to convict you and you need God to wake you up to the magnitude of your sin and to the magnitude of his grace which enables you to overcome it. But some of you this morning, you need to hear the comfort of the scriptures as well. You know that your heart is prone to laziness and you feel convicted and you are very aware of that. What I want you to know is that God is not trying to motivate you towards diligence with guilt and with shame, but rather God is offering to you a life of joy and blessing and he's laying it out before you and inviting you to walk into it with him. God is offering you what you are really looking for and it's just never going to get found in comfort. It's found in a diligent obedience to him and his word. And he's laying it out, offering you today, come, eat of this. This is what you're really looking for. This will really satisfy. Lastly, some of you, you don't wrestle with laziness, but you look down on with, with contempt on those who do. And maybe that's because you look for your, to find your identity in what you can do for God. And I just want to remind you that the Bible's clear. On your best day, God says what you bring to him is the same as just worthless, filthy rags. On your best day, that's what you have to bring. God's grace and mercy, you need it just as much as the lazy man. Let that free you. Let that free you to love and serve others. Let it free you to graciously call others to a life that is better. Let it free you to graciously, not condemningly, call others to a life of wisdom and diligence. You see, the gospel is good news to all of us. The gospel is what we need. The gospel is the one thing that changes us. Let's pray. Jesus, we just, we just come and we just confess there are, God, there is a sluggard in our hearts. God, and it gets worked out for all of us in many different ways and shapes and forms. But God, there is a never-ending just temptation and a desire to pursue comfort and pleasure. God, and what we just need you to keep reminding us of is that we'll never satisfy. It will never give us the life we wanted to. God, but also what we need is for you to, to, to keep offering out to us and keep calling us to follow you into, into true life, into wise life to life that is abundant, Jesus. You say in John 10 that you came so that we have, might have life to the full. God, in our life, our full life, our abundant life is not found in laziness. It's not found in comfort. It's not found in the pleasures of this world, but it's found in obedience to you and to your kingdom and to your purposes. And so, Jesus, we just say we need you to empower us to choose that. We can't do it on our own. We need you to be the one that empowers us to be like you. God, we are thankful for the ant. God, which... In their smallness, they point us to the bigness of their creator. Jesus, you are the diligent one. Your diligent and finished work has been credited to us. So God, help us to live out of that. Help us to live in light of it. Help us to live for you out of that identity that you have been given us. 
God, for our good, for the good of our church, for the good of our families, for the good of our community, but most of all, Jesus, for your great and abiding glory in all things. Jesus, living for you is what satisfies. Nothing else will ever do it. God, remind us of that. Call us into it. Help us to experience the goodness of obedience to you and diligent work for you and your kingdom.